Yeah, God is good. Amen. All the time, God is good. The devil is bad. All the time, the devil is bad. Uh, he doesn't snuggle up to you um, to make, he might try to make you think there's uh, something good in your life if you snuggle up to him. But always remember this he is an absolute profound liar. So we aren't accepting anything he's got to say. I heard somebody say the other day, um, if everything the devil said was true, he wouldn't have to lie. <laughs> so he's a liar, right? Praise the Lord. He's a liar. So if you don't mind, let's just take a moment and pray over this word tonight because I got so many papers and so many things. We want to make sure that I say the right things at the right time, the way the Spirit of the Lord wants to, and that when we all leave here this night, we'd say, Phew, that was all and it's over. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, Father, we are grateful for this word tonight. And I ask, Father, for help in ministering this word. I thank you, Father, you help us to hear from heaven tonight. I bind and arrest any demonic intrusion that would hinder this word, whether in my mouth speaking or in our ears hearing, Father. We thank you and praise you, Father, that tonight is a night of clarity. Tonight is a night of understanding. Tonight is a night of taking us farther, taking us deeper into spiritual things, that we can be the body of Christ, the church of the living God, without spot or blemish, ready for the return of the Lord and be taken to heaven. And we give you praise and we give you thanksgiving for it, Father. Help us to draw deep tonight. Help us to pull for things we've never seen or things we've never heard before. Help us, Father, to align our spirit with the plan of heaven tonight. And we give you praise and thanksgiving for it in Jesus' name. So we're just thankful for utterance. Amen? Hallelujah. So I'm just going to start out reviewing a, a few things this week. So if we can go first, I think, to 1 Corinthians 3.16. So we're going to have a lot of patience for the people on the overhead thing tonight, right? A lot of patience because there was a whole lot of <laughs> to get ready for tonight. Praise the Lord. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So we expounded on this last week that we are the temple of God. And then we even showed a picture, if you can go to that slide, of the temple. And we see that the temple has an outer court. It has an inner court, and it has a most holy place. And we equated that last week with being body, soul, and spirit, okay? It was body, soul, and spirit. The outer court, what people observe, the inner court, where our soul is, mind, will, emotions, the legal things were carried out in that court, and then the most holy place where the presence of God dwelt and abided, where they could speak to God and God would speak to them. All right, so we saw that there was those three components of that, the outer court, the inner court, holy of holies, and we equated those with body, soul, and spirit. So tonight, I want you to go and expound a little bit on those three components of mankind. So go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Micah, I pray I do this in the order you've got them, sweetheart. Now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says there, he wants your spirit, he wants your soul, and he wants your body all to be preserved blameless, meaning without blame, without fault, without um, uh, without infidelity to the things of the Spirit of God, okay? He wants those things preserved and kept. So with that being said, um, let's look at the first slide we've got. So I have a little picture tonight. Can everybody see that? Okay, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, and chalkboards are outdated, I understand, and whiteboards are overrated as far as I'm concerned. So this is our option for the teacher tonight, okay? So according to 1 Thessalonians, we're made up of these three components. Now, I want you to understand that um, in, this, in these slides, size doesn't necessarily mean anything at this point, okay? You say, oh, my spirit and soul are exact same size. No, that's just the size of rectangle I used on the PowerPoint, okay? You understand what I mean? So there, we're made of these three components, spirit, soul, and body, okay? We are a spirit, we have a soul, and the whole thing is encased with a body, right? The whole thing is encased, it's within a body, just like that temple was. So if you go to the next slide, just to confirm, we are spirit, you possess or you have a soul, and you live in a body, okay? You live in a body, all right? Those are the three components. So um, tonight, I want to talk first about spirit. So if you want to go to the next slide, well, I'm gonna, we're going to talk for a bit about spirit. Your spirit man is who you really are, okay? Um, if we look at Genesis 2-7, and the scripture in Genesis 2-7 says this, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Understand that there was a body there, but just because there was a body, there was no life there. In fact, New Covenant establishes that when the spirit man leaves, the body becomes dead. Right? Just like faith without works is dead, so the body without the spirit is dead. So your body is dead if it doesn't have the spirit because the spirit is what gives the body life. So your spirit man is the real you. And it says God breathed into this man, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. Actual Hebrew rendering of that living being means he became a speaking spirit. Understand, none of the animals were speaking spirits. Man was the first speaking spirit that God created. So let's go back to that third slide again on spirit. So the spirit is who we really are, and it's also the part of us that is reborn when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Okay, um, John chapter 3, I think, confirms that. Did I give you that uh, scripture? John chapter, uh, you know, my notes are already shelled a little bit. So did I give you that? Okay. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he was saying that because we all came under the nature of Adam with a, uh, a spirit that was actually dead to God now. And so when we get born again, what happens is our spirit man then comes alive once again to God. It comes alive once, to go, once again to God. And because of that, then in the third slide, we see that when we get born again, this is where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in your physical body. It's, he doesn't dwell in your soul. He dwells in your spirit. Your spirit does not become the Holy Spirit because we have confirmation that there's two spirits in there because it says your spirit bears witness with his spirit, okay? So it's not that, okay, I don't have a spirit, now I'm the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't run around saying you're the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't work for anybody else, okay? Praise the Lord. But it's where the spirit of the Lord does dwell is within your spirit. And we saw in our analogy of the temple that your spirit is where God meets with you, communicates with you, speaks with you. It's in your spirit. That's why a lot of times when you're following God, it's nudges. It's, it's quickenings. It's promptings. It's not loud voices and clamor. Because it's coming from within just to direct and guide and lead you. Okay? And your spirit man, of course, we know, will live forever. Your spirit man will live forever. All right? So um, let's go then to the next one. This is review from last week, slide four. This is, then we talked about the soul. And the soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Okay? So your um, soul is the part of you that exercises free will, which sometimes we want to say, yay, and sometimes we want to say, oh, right? But it's where your free will is. It's where you get to choose what you want to do, all right? It's where your choices are made. It's where your thoughts, desires, and your personality abide within your soul, okay? Um, and it's also the place, as Pastor Jerry's been telling us on Sunday, it's the place of the battlefield with the enemy. Not your body, not your spirit, in your soul. The enemy comes to wrestle with you in your soul, in your mind, your will, and your emotions. All right? But again, this is, this, your soul will live forever. In fact, the soul and the spirit sometimes are so um, tightly wound that the thing that can discern what spirit and what soul is the word of God. Hebrews 4 tells us that, that it can discern what spirit and what soul. Because sometimes, because it's our spirit and our soul, we have difficulty distinguishing. And the distinguishing is, was that me or was that God? So what happens then, you spend time in the word of God and the word of God helps you become discerning as to what's you and what's him. All right? So that's, that's a review of, of that. Then we go on to the body. 
The next slide. Nope, wrong one. Slide five. That one is slide six. Is there a different one missing? Is, if there's one missing, it's all right. Go back to the sole one, and I can just walk through that one. There you go. There you go. Um, the housing for our spirit and soul is called our body. Your spirit and soul don't walk the earth without a body. If you lose your body, you're done here, okay? Um, it's the part that other people rec can recognize us by. They recognize you by your body. Now, when we get to heaven, people will still recognize you because the real you is the spirit, but you won't have the same body necessarily in look and form. And many people said, praise the Lord, right? Amen. All right. But your body is made to be just that, a carrier of your spirit and soul. So it's made to take orders or follow the spirit and soul. It's not supposed to be in charge. It's supposed to be just a vehicle. And um, how many of you know that um, if you got in your car, now, of course, they're changing all this, and we'll have to update this message. But if your car just took you home, Without you driving it, we would think that's a little bit strange. Okay, I understand. We're moving technology-wise. But that's what your body is like. Your body is just the car, the vehicle, which your spirit and soul get, uh, get carried in. And your spirit and soul are supposed to tell your body where to go, what to do, and how to act. Okay? And then um, we know that the body... Um, doesn't have complete redemptive ability here in the earth because someday it's going to return to dirt. It's going to return to dust. Your body is going to return to dust. And we looked at all those scriptures last week. Does everybody remember that? All right. So now I'm going to go the other direction, body, soul, and spirit. And we're just going to talk a little bit deeper about each one of those things. All right. So go to the next slide, slide number six. Your body is valued. There's a value on your body because it holds your spirit and it holds your soul. So there is a value on your body because the body can get so deteriorated that the spirit wants to leave. Okay? This is what sickness and disease is about. It makes your body so deteriorated decayed, d corrupted, that your spirit man says, I ain't living in this any longer. I'm out of here, okay? And so there is a value on the body because we want to keep it well and whole so the spirit and soul stay here as long as they're supposed to, right? And so there, the value of the body is that it is the traveling mechanism for your spirit and soul. And I'm just going to say this. Don't wait until disease or sickness affect your physical body before you decide you're going to treat it right. You treat it right, do the right things all along, and then you don't have any other problems later on. 
okay? But what happens is we abuse it and don't treat it like it's a holding place for our soul and spirit. We beat on it. We feed it things it shouldn't eat. We do things we shouldn't do to it and all these kind of things. And then one day we're having to draw from a different source of strength to keep it well and whole. If you just keep your body well and whole, you're not going to have any problem living out your days. Right? Okay. Since that was so popular. <laughs> hallelujah. But you need to value your body as that. You need to value your body as that. You need to value it. This is what's containing the real me. And this is what's containing the God, that part, that God wants to talk to me. And I've got to treat this container like it's important to hold something for God. Amen? Some people treat uh, uh, vases with ashes in it better than they treat their own body. Okay, moving along. I don't have any relatives in vases, so I don't know where that came from. Praise the Lord. All right, so the body has lusts. All right, and um, I want to go to Romans 6, 12 now um, because the body does have lusts in it, all right? Can you get those? Is it too hard to flip back and forth? Okay, um, and I could just turn there. I'm right there right now. Must have been uh, the right one. Romans 6, 12 reads this way. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts, Okay. Your body has lust, okay? Eat chocolate cake every night before you go to bed for 21 days, and on day 22, what's your body going to say? We'll have chocolate cake now, right? See, you can create cravings in your physical body. You can create lust in your physical body. You can create that. You know, and um, your body is meant to follow. The first time most people smoke a cigarette, they don't say, oh, your, their body doesn't say, oh, that was wonderful. The first time they smoke a cigarette, their body says, no, what are you doing? You know, chewing tobacco. Jerry can tell you about the first time he chewed tobacco. It went in, it went up, and it went out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So your body can create, you can make it want things that it shouldn't want. Okay, you can make it want things, but the problem with making your body want certain things, then it's going to want something when you don't want it to want it. You get it? And what we're trying to do is control what our body wants so it doesn't want what it wants when we don't want it to. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. So your body does have lust in it. So we have to come up with some, um, go back to the slide, and you can just go on the slide, and I'll turn to the scriptures. We'll all have to become students of our Bible tonight. Praise the Lord. So we are on slide number six, all right? 1 Corinthians 9.27 then gives us some clues about it. And 1 Corinthians 9.27 says this, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So since the body has lust, it must be disciplined. Okay, what is the word disciplined? A lot of people think, well, discipline means I do this, I don't do that. I do this, I don't do that. I, I, uh, this is the mandate. This is not the mandate. 
And that's all true, but the, the bulk of the word discipline is the same word that's disciple, means I make it follow. So what I do with my body is I make it follow my commands. I make it follow. If it goes to craving chocolate cake, I tell it, no, we're not having chocolate cake. You know, if it goes to craving something else, no, I'm disciplining. I'm making you follow the real me. I'm not giving you ascendancy over anything else in me. And it's, it's not so difficult and it's not so hard, but we've complicated it in our head. Your body was made to follow you. You were made to be in charge of your body, okay? And so what we're doing when we're disciplining our body, we're subjecting it to commands. It will do this and not do that. Body, you will get out of bed in the morning and pray. Body, you will go to bed when it's time to go to bed. Body, you will not do this. You will not do that. See, we have an opportunity to walk this life in abundant life. In fact, the Spirit of the Lord today gave me this phrase. He said, you're moving toward optimum life. Optimum life. Optimum life is the highest possible. And you're not going to get optimum life if your body is determining what you're going to do. Hallelujah. So the body has to be disciplined. Um, James chapter 3 verse 2 gives us a real key about bringing our bodies into subjection or discipline on our bodies. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. I want you to notice here that the ability to keep the body in subjection is coupled with the words you speak. How you speak will determine how well your body is bridled. All right? And it says here, we all stumble, we struggle with this, but if you don't struggle with how you talk, if you don't struggle with what you say, you'll be able to bridle that body and you'll be able to bring it into subjection. So that just confirms what we said. Your body is made to be a follower because it's going to follow what you say. Your body is going to follow what you say. So if you can say the right things, the body will fall into subjection. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. And then uh, Romans 12, 1, last scripture on this one. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He asks you to present your body a living sacrifice. Present your body. Father, I am willing to take this body where you want it to go. I'm willing to have it do what you need it to do. I'm willing to subject this to your will, your plan, and your command every day of my life. 
If you get that mentality about you, you'll find less sin and addiction against your body. You'll find yourself allowing your body to do less immoral or corrupt things. Because you get an awareness that the sacrifice to God is my physical body. Because you can say, well, I'm going to do this and do this, but until you act it out in body, you're not going anywhere. Amen? All right. So some keys about the physical body. Go back to the slide number six. It has, the things about the body is it has physical power. Okay? It has physical power. You can sit up. You can stand up. You can move. You can you know, lift weights, I guess. It has physical power. And the monitoring system in your, in your physical body, if something is wrong, is what we call pain. When you experience pain, you know there's something wrong in my body. There's something wrong in my body. That's the monitoring system of the body. And the body grows and is made stronger with physical food. And how many have heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Right? Right food in makes you stronger. Wrong food in makes your body weaker. Right? Okay. So um, that's simple enough. Put the right stuff in. You know, um, I have found that um, most food addictions, I know I talked about chocolate cake cravings, but most food addictions, because we're talking about putting food in, right food in, are not in the body, they're in the mind. They're in the mind. Hallelujah. All right, so let's go to slide number seven then and talk a little bit more about the soul. The soul is valued not because, like the body was valued because it holds and contains the spirit and soul. It's valued because it holds the power of choice. It holds the power of choice, okay? That free will agent in you is in your soul, all right? And incidentally, free will means it's your option. It's your option. It's your option is what free will is. And the soul can either be influenced by physical things or it can be influenced by spiritual things. Okay, things on the outside can impress your soul and things out of your spirit, man, can impress your soul. Okay, your soul stands between the body and the spirit. Okay, and so between a fleshly life and a spirit life is the life to choose. It's the life to choose stands between those two. If we look at Romans 8, 5, Romans 8, 5 makes it very clear. Those who live according to the flesh set their mind, which is a component of the soul, on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit is because they took their power of choice and chose things of the spirit. So it's very easy to understand. You can go back to that slide. It's very easy to understand then. If I can get my soul right, then the choice between flesh and spirit is not difficult to make. I will choose right if I get my soul right. I will make the right decision if I get my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions right. Are we okay tonight? Okay. 
So the soul is the doorway to the flesh, and it has a doorway to the spirit. And just like that temple from the outer court to the Holy of Holies, they went through the inner court. It's the same way with you. You want things out here to mark your spirit, you got to choose it. You got to make a choice for it. You've got to open yourself up to say yes to it. Because God never jumps over your choosing and does something that you don't want him to do. He doesn't jump over your free will and take charge over you. He doesn't do that. He's a gentleman. So you have to understand in your soul is the power to let God in and the power to keep God out. In your soul is that power. All right? Hallelujah. Are we doing okay? All right. So the soul is monitored. This is how we monitor the soul. We talked about it last week. Rules, regulations, conscience. We talked about it extensively last week about how your conscience can get changed and altered and seared and defiled and all these things that the conscience is not a dependable monitoring system and most people try to monitor their life out of their conscience. But you can have an experience or you can have repeat occurrence that sear and mar your conscience and now you don't know what's right or wrong anymore. Okay? And we talked about that extensively last week, so I'm not going to go into that part tonight. But you're, it's monitored that by that. You monitor your soul by, no, that's right. No, that's wrong. You know, no, I don't feel good about that. That's the monitoring system in the soul. But it can be corrupted by the length and depth of choices you've made. All right? And the strength of the soul is what we call willpower willpower now um, understand this when we're looking at this willpower is effective against body power okay if you your body says i want that chocolate cake i want that chocolate cake i want that chocolate cake everybody's gonna go home tonight and have chocolate cake aren't they praise the lord all right or nobody's going to have chocolate cake, one or the other. But your willpower can supersede that power operating in your body and say no. Because the power of choice is greater than the lust of the flesh. The power of choice is greater than the lust of the flesh. The power of choice is greater than the lust of the flesh. It is greater than the lust of the flesh. All right? Um, and the soul grows and is made stronger with experiences and information. Okay? You take in information and the soul gets stronger. The soul gets stronger. You have experiences and the soul gets stronger in its fortitude of willpower. Okay, you have an experience of, say, say um, it's like this. Um, say your, um, your childhood taught you to guard your heart with harshness. You know, I'm just, you know, like an old dog, I get mean. 
if I get threatened, okay? Well, you have another experience that's threatening to you. All that does is reinforce the soul that says, I'm not letting anybody in, okay? Experiences make the soul stronger in its quest. Information will make the soul stronger in its quest, okay? And we, we are in an information age. You know, we're in an information age where, you know, in 30 seconds you can have, you can find out who, uh, you know, who's won the last 26 Super Bowls. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to get an encyclopedia out. And, you know, we are in an information age. And the danger of that information age is then that the souls of people get so big, for lack of a better word, that we're losing the spiritual value. You know, and see, the spiritual value is who God's made you to be, what God's called you to do, the purpose of your life. All these things are in your spirit. But what happens is we get enough information on our soul, we find ourselves content with career, not calling. You know, we find ourselves content with all those things, and we're not tapping spirit, we're just tapping soul. What makes us feel happy, and yet, in, in that, even though the soul is satisfied, the person still feels destitute. Because they still think there's got to be more than this. Because without fulfilling what's in your spirit for you to do, you feel, feel an unfulfilled life. Does this make sense to anybody? All right. So what happens is we educate the soul at the expense of the spirit. Okay. I'm just going to keep going. Pastor, fix it after I'm done, okay? Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. So the next one, let's go to the next slide then. Slide number eight, spirit. Let's talk about that a little bit more in depth before we get into the rest of this. The spirit is, your spirit is alive to God now. You know, the word said that the spirit of the world can't receive the spirit of God because it doesn't know him. Well, once you come to know God, you can receive the spirit of God. Your spirit man can hear from God. It can hear what God wants to say. It can hear what God wants to do. And your spirit man knows things that the soul and the body don't even know yet. They know things. Let's go to um, a couple, let's go to those scriptures there then in 1 Corinthians. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Your spirit is one with God. Your spirit, your spirit, the real you is connected to God. And it's not just like we have a connection. It says it's one with him. Wow. Wow. We are joined that tight to God that he says, you're one with me. All right? Go to the next one, 1 Corinthians, and the other Corinthians verse. Okay. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So there's things that only your spirit man knows. And there's things only the spirit of God knows. 
But if we are one with him, then we can know everything that the Spirit of God has for us. We can have everything the Spirit of God says we can have, okay? Because we are joined. But what happens is we don't give enough attention to that fact and we're trying to figure out God in our soul instead of just yielding to God in our spirit man. Hallelujah. So in your spirit, in your, the monitoring system of your spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in there. Um, how many of you have ever gone to do something and there's something deep down that says, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. And it's not a demanding it's not a requiring, and it feels all almost like just a suggestion, a nudge. That's the Spirit of God that resides within you trying to get you to optimum life. That's what it's trying to do. It's trying to get you to that optimum life. Okay, go to the Proverbs scripture then. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. All right? Now, this is something that is not popular today. Correction. People don't like correction. So, but if you don't like correction, I have a newsflash for you. You're going to stay wrong. You're going to stay wrong. And then when, they, when you do correct them, you have to, how does somebody say, couch it in soft tones? But we have become an uncorruptible, uncorrectable people. And if we're uncorrectable, we're unteachable. Okay? And we have to understand the Holy Spirit is in you to correct you. He's in there to correct you, to say, don't say that. Go make that right. Fix that. Cut, shut your mouth. He's there to correct you. And he's not there to correct you because you're worthless. He's there to correct you because he loves you. He corrects you because you have great value. He corrects you because he doesn't want you to make mistakes. That's the reason he corrects. And the Holy Spirit is in there to correct you. If you never get corrected, it's because you're not listening. Or you're perfect. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have to come to the place that we value correction more than we value our pride. We value correction more than being right. We have to value correction because until we value correction, we are an unchanged people. And without being changed, you're not going to get to optimum life. You're not going to get to abundant life. And I didn't say then it's our job to correct one another. But you know why people go after correcting one another? Because they have no confidence in the spirit within them to correct them itself. 
if I don't correct them, they probably aren't going to be corrected. If I don't show them the error of their ways, they're probably never going to think they're wrong. And I want them to know they're wrong. That's a soulish people, not a spirit people. Because a spirit people relies on the Holy Spirit that's in each other. I have to count, you know, um, now maybe not every marriage is like this. Not, maybe not. Okay, but Jerry has been ratting on me a lot lately, so I'm just going to take this opportunity. <laughs> But I, I know you do, babe. But I sometimes, you know, you know when your spouse maybe needs a little tweaking. Let's just use that word. A little tweaking, maybe a little bit of adjusting or something. And um, I have discovered, I don't know if you've discovered this, if I tell him about his necessary tweaking, there's no movement going to happen. So I have found the best thing for me to do is, Lord, I thank you that you open the eyes of his understanding, enlighten him to know. And then he'll come back in a couple of days. He said, you know, I've been thinking about this. I said, hmm, what are you thinking? Well, I think we need to make this adjustment. I said, I agree. Praise the Lord. Because the correction from the spirit has a value and a power that I don't have. It has an ability to adjust and change that I don't have. And so what I do is I use the spirit within me to intercede on his behalf to the father. And as I intercede to the father in Jesus name, the Holy Spirit then goes and bears witness with his spirit, the altering that needs to be done. So what I'm doing when I'm praying, I'm praying out of my spirit, loosing the spirit of God within me to go and work on the Holy Spirit that's within him and his spirit. So I've got a divine connection that's spirit to spirit and both of us come up higher. So I am petitioning to the one that lives within him through praying in the spirit to do something. And it's not, I'm not controlling. There's nothing in me controlling. I'm not saying dominate him or anything. I could be wrong in my tweaking judgment, right? I could be in error. But what I'm doing is in the spirit, I'm calling to his spirit to rise up and be greater than any limitation or restriction or hindrance that's in the way of his spirit. Because I know by God, he wants to be completely free in spirit. <laughs> so I have an opportunity to call to his spirit in intercession. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What are we talking about? The monitoring of the Holy Spirit, being willing to be corrected, being willing to be corrected. You know, um, wouldn't we like to think we didn't need correction? We'd like to think that, but yet in our head, we know we need correction. But the next time we get corrected, we, we got to judge, how are we handling this? 
Are we handling this with, um, even if it's people? You know, uh, Pastor Jerry and I got some really good counsel one time, and they said if someone makes a judgment call against you and accuses you of something, um, um, look for if there's any truth in it. Don't just completely dismiss it. And it's not about, not about um, becoming critical of yourself, but instead utilize it as a possible correction to make you grow and do better. You know, and so how you handle correction will determine how you develop. All right? You know, if you have a kid that you can never correct, um, when they get to be an adult, they're uncorrectable. And we call that out of control, right? So what we have to do is we have to decide we are going to be correctable. You know, if somebody says, you know, at one time I saw you a lot hotter for God than you are right now. You know, you can turn and say, oh, they just don't know everything I'm going. No. Analyze. Is that true? Why would they get that impression? Father, I receive that as a correction for you, that my life is not displaying fervency as it once did. So I ask that you renew that in me. And you're changed rather than just dismissing it. All right? We all have to be correctable or we're not teachable, right? All right, so then we go on to say the strength that's in our spirit, man, is any power given by the Holy Spirit that we will yield to. Now, you start thinking about that because what is happening is we realize the Spirit of God is resident within us and all we've got to do is give him a channel to get out. We've got to give him a way to get out. And the, what he's got to cross through all the time is that soul. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, okay? So the, what's in you has to pass through your soul, and you have to decide if you're going to distort it, you're going to shut it down, you're going to deny it, you're going to reject it, or you're going to let it flow, all right? Because that power is available. This power that's in your spirit is strong enough to conquer anything in your soul and anything in your body. If God is able to change your soul and change your body, there's enough power of the spirit within you because your spirit is joined and one with the Holy Spirit. So he's not going to say, you got the Holy, you're joined to the Holy Spirit, but there's no power available to make your life different. He's not going to do that. He said, you're joined to the Holy Spirit. So what do you need my power released on in your life? Is it torment in the mind? Is it physical infirmity? What is it you need Holy Spirit power loosed on because it's available because it's within you? The anointing of God for every day of your life to live in the fullness of God is already resident within you. Because once you got born again, God didn't sell you short and saying there's enough anointing to last 30 days. He said there's enough anointing in you to last the rest of the days of your life already contained within you. Already within you. 
So what you have to decide, am I going to allow access to that anointing to make my life bigger and better? Or am I going to let my soul clutter it all up and so it can't get through me? All right. All right. So your spirit grows and is made stronger as you feed it spiritual food. What's spiritual food? Anything birthed in spirit. What's birthed in spirit is spiritual food. The word of God is spiritual food. Praise and worship is spiritual food. Going to church is spiritual food. Have you ever noticed you can go to church and you come out of there and you feel different and somebody says, well, what did the pastor preach on? And you have not a clue, can't remember. But it impacted your spirit. It made your spirit larger. It made a difference within you, even if your mind can't remember what was said. All right? And it's because it's spirit food. Being in the house of God is a mandate from the word of God. Being among the church of God is a mandate from the word of God. And its design is to make your spirit man be more alive. To make your spirit man wake up. All right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm a little bit confused where I'm at about up there. So we have to concentrate on growing and making our spirit. Okay, let's go to slide number nine here then. We'll look at some different um, illustrations. If your body is going to dominate, it automatically shrinks your spirit and soul. Because you lose choosing and you don't have spirit power flowing. If your body is going to dominate. And we know this to be true in, um, in the, and I think it's Mark 14, wasn't it, that I gave you? And Jesus said this. He said, he even said this. Um, the flesh, is that the one, the flesh is willing? Oh, it's all right, honey. We'll just go, well, I'll just turn there. The spirit is weak. Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. Okay, temptation, because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, okay? The flesh is weak concerning spiritual avenues. So you've got to pray so that the spirit man becomes strong because the flesh becomes a hindrance to spirit. Even if spirit is willing, if, if flesh has opportunity to call the shot, it will make the spirit weak and shrink. The body will. Hallelujah. Okay, maybe we should try something else. Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> Number 10, next one. Hallelujah. They are having to work really hard back there to get this all going for me. Hallelujah. All right, soul dominated. All right, and this is, we're going to camp a little bit probably here on the soul domination. The, don't, the soul likes to have, like, it likes rules and regulations. And the reason it likes rules and regulations, because the opportunity to choose whatever, whenever, however, is so vast that we want boundaries. We want boundaries, all right? And there's nothing wrong with boundaries, okay? But what happens is we use those laws and rules and regulations to hone in the soul 
you know, and hopefully nobody knows this, you're, you're not supposed to murder, okay? That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And um, so that, that word of thou shalt not kill is supposed to be a bridle concerning the freedom of choice. The freedom of choice can't cross the boundary that allows you to murder, okay? And so we like rules and regulations because it's, it's like having um, open graze land without them. You don't, sometimes you don't know where you're going, what you're doing. So we, we have a tendency to like rules and regulations because it simplifies the choices of the soul. It simplifies the choices of the soul. But the problem with that, if we become a soul-dominated people, we start living regulations and rules to the, to the degree that the Spirit of God doesn't have opportunity to move. Doesn't have opportunity. And what happens is we, we get stuck in form and we miss the flow. We get stuck in the form. And that's what religion is. Religion is do this according to this, irregardless of the Spirit of God being on it or not. Because it's simple and easy to say, we go to church, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. Every, on, on every denomination that's out there, whether you're talking Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, all of them out there started out of a revival of people that gave up legal rules of religion and went out and stretched for things of the spirit that weren't common. Every one of them did. Every one of them did. The Methodists came out of the Wesleys that were on fire for God and had awakenings. You know, all of the uh, Lutherans came out of Martin Luther um, putting the thesis up against the Catholic Church because, no, we're saved by grace. You know, all of these things started out great, but because they became soul-dominated, they lost their power of the Spirit. They lost their power of the Spirit. And so it is with you. If you get so legal, you are going to lose your power of the Spirit. You get so legal that you can't hear God going in there and tweaking your rules, you're going to lose the power of the Spirit because your rules need to be tweaked, right? Hallelujah. And we can't be a soul-dominated people. The other thing, remember that, um, uh, the other thing that operates in your soul is your emotions. And you can get so emotionally controlled that God isn't able to give you direction. You can get so emotionally controlled that God can't direct you in the affairs of this life. And, it's, and remember, where the soul got its, where it got its strength was out of accumulation of information and experience. So then what happens, you have repeat experience that cause you to have an emotion of rejection or discouragement or disappointment or whatever it is that it is hard to hear because that soul is tainting everything coming into you through that emotion. You see this often with people get a victim mentality. My life has been bad. 
My life has been horrible. Look what's happened to me. Look what I'm suffering. And what happens then is it develops what's called an attitude. And I want you to know God doesn't work for bad attitude. Not when he inhabits praises. He inhabits praises. So your bad attitude is causing your altitude to be just dust. Okay? See, because, and that's, that attitude is in your soul. And if your attitude is going cross-grained to the spirit, you're not going to have your breakthrough. Hallelujah. So we have to work on this so that our soul doesn't dominate us in any way. Another way the soul will dominate is your opinion. Because it's part of your thoughts and your, your thoughts realm is part of your opinion. How many of you know your opinions aren't ever, aren't ever wrong to you? But they might be wrong to the spirit of the Lord. All right? Because what happens is... Your opinion becomes truth and fact to you, even if it's error, all right? And then again, we become unteachable in that, all right? So then what we have to, what we have to do is, because the crisis here in things of getting an optimum life, the place of crisis usually is in our soul. It's usually in our soul. So let's look at some of these things about the soul. Um, go to um, slide number 11. The soul must be brought into subjection by the spirit of God within us, by the renewing of the mind. And we know that scripture, is it in Romans 12 too? You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what happens is, if you, you can go back to the slide, thank you. If you understand that renewing the soul will change the life and what happens when you renew the soul you take something from the outside and it's confirmed with something within your spirit and that goes to working on two different directions to clean up that soul for instance you pick up the word of god physically on the outside and you begin to read it and then as you're reading this word, the spirit of God within you begins to bear witness with you about something in that word that is just for you. And what it begins to do is renew the soul. The soul is made new then because both directions are drawing it into spiritual things, both from the outside and the inside is working to draw it into spiritual things. Go to the next slide. I think it's 11. Is that what we're on? No, 12. So a cluttered soul doesn't allow the spirit to influence it properly. You can get so much junk in your soul that the spirit of God can't do anything in there. You can get so much junk in your soul, you can get junk like Mark 4 talks about the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for ever th other things. I think I gave you that scripture. And it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. It didn't say the word never came in. 
It said the word came in, but all this stuff was in your soul, so the word couldn't even do anything. The word couldn't even do anything because you've got a desire for this instead. You're carrying all these cares of obligations. You've been deceived and fooled by the enemy. And so there is no renewing of the mind when your soul is so full of clutter that the spirit of God can't work on it. So I, you, what you have to do is you go before the feet of Jesus and you repent first and it'll begin to clean out your soul because you have to understand this. What the Spirit of God does for your soul is it washes through you and washes it out of your soul. The washing of the water by the Word of God. It, the Spirit within you begins to wash through your soul. Clean up your emotions. Clean up your thoughts. Changes your desires. The biggest problem sometimes we have is our want to is the wrong to. All right? And so what he wants to do is he wants to wash your soul, change what you want. How can you tell if your desires are right? If the Holy Spirit himself would want it, then your want to is right. Because that tells us if the Spirit is dominating. If your desires are his desires, the Spirit of God is dominating. Hallelujah. But a cluttered soul will not allow that to happen. All right, so... Let's go to slide 13, and we may not go to all these scriptures. I may just read them because we're running out of time. Healthy soul strategies. Number one, stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. The first thing people do when they get weighted down or pressure, they pull away from God. The worst thing to do, and the scripture reference we have on that, Jesus says to take his yoke upon him, learn from me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he said in that particular scripture, uh, maybe we do need to go to these. Okay, if we go two minutes past, you're going to fire me. Oh, well. 11.28, Matthew 11.28. Come to me, all who you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your Souls, the place you get worn out is in your soul. Your physical body can get worn out and eight or nine hours of sleep, you've basically got it geared back up. But your soul gets tired. Why does your soul get tired? Because you got to make decisions for this. You carry this emotion. You carry this burden. You carry this weight. you got all this stuff going on. So your soul gets bombarded, gets heavy, gets weighted down. Then you got to take care of them and you got to figure out what to do about this. And Jesus said, you come to me, you stay connected to me and your soul will find rest. Your soul will find rest. But if there's a disconnect from Jesus, there's no rest for your soul because it requires a yoking together. It requires a yoking together to get that kind of rest. All right. The next thing on the slide that we had, you consistently take the word of God in. And we know the scripture that takes in the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. If you need your soul saved, you take the word of God in. All right? Um, always be obedient to the spirit of God. And we, we find that, that obedience purifies your soul, is what it says. That you've obeyed the word of love and it will purify your soul, all right? There, there's the scripture for that, 1 Peter 1, 22, all right? And the next one is um, consider him. 
all right? We have to consider Jesus who bore such hostility from sinners, lest we become discouraged and weary and faint, one translation says, in our soul. I believe, is that Hebrews 12, 3, Jerry? Something like that. Okay. You have to stay in faith. You have to keep believing God as your source. All right? You have to stay in faith. You have to, you have to equip yourself to stay in faith because the end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. When you, you know when your faith has accomplished something, when your soul is refreshed, okay? And then it says to stay hopeful, have an expectation. You have to always keep alive in you an expectation of something better than now. And the Spirit of God is within you to say, yeah, keep believing for it, keep believing for it, keep believing for it, keep believing for it, keep standing strong. And the Word of God says that hope is an anchor for your soul. So your soul that is unbridled and un, uh, wanting to go all over, if you'll stay hopeful, it will hold you to faith in God. Amen? All right. Those are some strategies of that. All right. So let's, all right. Now we have the spirit dominated. And when you have the spirit dominated, it means all of the resources of the Holy Spirit are free to flow through you. They're free to flow through you. Whatever you have need of, it's free to flow through you. And so this is what we want to do. So what we're going to do is keep feeding that spirit. Keep feeding that spirit. It's the only entity. It's the only component that has enough power to take care of everything in my life. I could give my education, but without dominating my, being dominated by the spirit, my education will not avail anything for me. I have to keep feeding this spirit, keep feeding this spirit, because the spirit of God within it has great and mighty things. So if I'll just feed that component of me where it can grow and dominate, I'll have optimum life. All right, so two things, especially to watch for in your spirit, man. Go to slide number 15. Um, unforgiveness quenches the mercy of God, quenches the spirit of God within us, because spirit-based means mercy. Okay, rule-based, which was the soul is, is judgment. See, the soul wants judgment. The soul wants judgments. It wants rules to keep it lassoed in. But the Spirit of God is always mercy. And the Word of God tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. So mercy will trump judgment. Stay connected to God. Allow the Spirit of God to talk to you. Otherwise, you're going to get judgmental and critical, not only of each other, but of yourself. But if you let the Spirit of God be bigger inside you, then you'll have the mercy of God. Know this, that when you, when you walk in unforgiveness, you have quenched mercy, not only in your ability to give it, but also your ability to receive it. That's why the Lord said, if you forgive, I'll forgive you. If you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. Why is that? Because you don't have a mercy flow. All right? The next one. We're just about done. You all doing okay? Here's one. This is the key. Complaining becomes a blockade to the spirit of God within us. Because what complaining does, it reinforces the soul's rights. Okay? This, um, the word, let's see, where's the scripture I gave you back there in Psalm? Psalm 77, 3. 
complained. He says, I remember God was troubled because he was doing wrong. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Get this, church. When we complain, we quench the spirit of God operating in our life. When we complain, it doesn't say if you have a complaint that's justified, it's okay, but otherwise don't complain. In fact, the word of God tells us to do all things without grumbling and complaining that we can become blameless, harmless children of God without fault. See, when you complain, no longer is the person you're complaining about at fault. Now you're at fault because you're complaining. All right, so do we understand the damage that complaining does to our spirit? When you start complaining, it puts a double wall and that spirit of God cannot flow through you to do anything through you or for you because of your complaint. Because complaining is a fault. Hallelujah. And it didn't say because complaining made my spirit overwhelmed. Complaining, I mean, my soul overwhelmed. Complaining overwhelmed my spirit. Praise the Lord. So we're not going to complain and we're not going to walk in unforgiveness. Amen. So the last one, the moral of the story, be whole. Have an abundant life. And the God of peace will sanctify you completely spirit, soul, and body preserved blameless. All right? So it's all about allowing the spirit of God to flow through us that's within us, that there's no stoppages, that there's no hindrances, there's no barricades, there's no blockades. Okay, because God's plan is for me to be preserved completely blameless. So if I can get my spirit jazzed up enough to dominate my life, my soul and my body will fall in line. But if I'm going to let my soul feel what it wants to feel, say what it wants to say, act the way it wants to act, I have now dominated the spirit of God within me and there is a quenching that I am not a person of the spirit. Because the word of God even tells us if you're led by the spirit, these are the sons, the mature ones of God. So how well you let the spirit of God flow through you determines how mature you are in the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Did you get enough tonight? Praise the Lord. You are spirit, soul, and body. But our obligation is to allow spirit to dominate our life. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So why don't you all stand and we'll pray. We'll believe God for activation of the Holy Ghost in this heavenly host of people of God. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we are grateful and thankful. That you didn't leave us orphans, but you came to not only abide with us, but to abide within us. So, Father, make us aware of the power and the potential of God that is residing within each and every one of us. Help us to yield to that. Help us to take down any barricade or blockade that's hindering you from flowing through us in full power and authority. And we give you praise and thanksgiving, Father. 
that every moment is a new day at the mercy seat in the throne of God. And we thank you that we can receive mercy for any mistakes, past, present, or future, as we come to you and are connected to you. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.